0: So Alhamdulillah, welcome uh, to all of you uh, and thank you for your great attendance and thank you to the Masjid Al-Hikmah for this uh, blessed gathering. Uh, And this is the launch of Quranic progression and there's a lot to say, uh, but uh, as usual, uh, like we do in logical progression. When we start uh, something as blessed as this, then we start with that which is most blessed and those are the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's most appropriate that Sheikh Ahsan, who is going to be the teacher of this class, We'll start with the Quran. Zallahu
1: Arubilla Himinashaytani Rajim in the Hadan Quran, a Yahdin, letty hear a فَمَحَونَا آيَةَ اللَّيْلِ we آيَةً النَّهَارِ مُبَصِّرَةً be فَضْلاً لتَبَتَغُوا فَضْلاً able to be عَدَدَ السّنينَ be وَكُل to فَصلناهُ تفصيلاً وَإِذَا أَرَدْنَا أَنْ نُهْلِكَ قَرْيَةً أَمَرْنَا فيها فَفَسَقُوا فِيهَا فَفَسَقُوا فِيهَا فَحَقَّ عَلَيْهَا الْقَوْلُ فَدَمَرْنَاهَا تَدَمِيرًا وَكَمْ أَهْلَكْنَا مِنَ الْقُرُونِ مِنْ بَعْدِ نُوحَ Wakafabi Rabbi Kabi Dunu biribadi kabiram basira.
0: Zallahkhir to uh Shaykh Asan uh for that from Surah al Isra. Um Alhamdulillah. So I just wanted to share a few uh, quick words. Um just about the blessing of what we're about to do. This is an auspicious moment for the fact that, um, I mean, any program in our time that, that is bringing people to commitment and regularity with respect to their deen in a time which is increasingly godless is something which is mubarak. But then when it's the Qur'an and it's then a project with a team that are so dedicated to what's about to happen... Because I remember now back six and six and a half years ago now when we started Logical Progression. Um, and the aim of Logical Progression, six and a half years later, and we're still continuing with the same people in the same way every single week um, on a Wednesday uh, in the evening. We're well, just our little gathering there in Manchester with a large gathering online. And Everyone knows that we're not going to change the world with that and We're not going to rock the boat in some kind of major way But we are going to keep it going and keep teaching the people their deen And keeping it consistent And if it takes us 20 years or 30 years or 40 years But every week is going to be blessed whilst we're there And that's what's about to happen here in Birmingham and online But the Quran is the focus of that Uh, And so people need to um, realize that um, in the last 5-10 years as the da'wah has increased, as internet and social media kind of reach has increased as well, there's been a, a big revival of the Qur'an and its study. Uh, a number of people have contributed to that. Uh, and al Maghrib Institute as well, who we both represent, have done a, a great job in teaching the people the Qur'an in a weekend or double weekend. Sheikh Ahsan, of course, is eminently qualified to teach this class, not just teaching tafsir, but tadabbur as well. And I want to talk a little bit about that. You see, because... Um, the tafsir of the Qur'an or the exegesis or the actual meaning, the interpretation of the actual meaning of the Qur'an as taught by the Prophet ﷺ, as understood by the companions and then where they had not been given any instruction as interpreted by the companions themselves and then the later generations upon a methodology which the Prophet ﷺ had established. That's a science and an art which actually very, very few people understand. And ironically what we've seen is people trying to do that Um, At the beginning of their studies, or at the beginning of their journey, maybe just after learning Arabic, for example. in actual fact, traditionally speaking, the only people who spoke about the tafsir of the Qur'an are those who are most qualified. Those who are most advanced in their studies. Those who have clocked Arabic as a beginning, as an introduction, and then gone through the seerah, and gone through hadith, and gone through mustalah al-hadith, and gone through the usool of the deen, and the principles that are required to understand Islam, because tafsir is like a canvas. Unfortunately... The Qur'an can be manipulated very, very easily. And we're in a time of manipulators. Yani insan itself is always desperate for inspiration and excitement and motivation. And there are plenty of people out there that will use the Qur'an, which has an, an incredible loyal following. Amongst people who actually recite it, believe in it, and have no idea what it means. Because they have no understanding of the Arabic language, but they have such a love for it. Because it's the word of Allah. But they also, even when they don't understand it, they know that they need to try and show love for it even if they don't understand it. So you've got people who are giving you that blind allegiance. And so that's a great responsibility in your your hands. And when you have people then that are not putting in the time and research and the effort that's required to give them the correct sunnah and orthodoxy in interpretation of the Qur'an, and you're getting undying love and support in the way that you are doing it, then you start to find deviation very, very common. And that's in the English-speaking world and the Arab-speaking world and in the Urdu-speaking world. And actually, every society now has these major figures that are teaching the Qur'an according to their own understandings, their own methodology, their own rationale. And that's a major problem. And it's time that we took that back. It's time that the, the scholars stood up and took it back. And of course, they have time pressures, they have other responsibilities. And I just want you to know and value what's about to happen here. This isn't going to be the most exciting of classes and it's not going to blow your mind every moment and whatever. But what this is is a place that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is happy with when you are here. What this is, is a place where the angels will be every single week. And what this is, is an opportunity for you folks, just to protect yourselves a little bit in a horrible, horrible time. Yani you're there living in a non-Muslim country that does not display the symbols and the signs of Islam. And when people start to do that, and people start to put that step forward, then people push back, society pushes back, and makes you feel even more of an outsider. And that has an effect on the soul. I want you to know that every day when we see the more the development, the new generation start to come up, now third generation full and now the fourth generation coming in, they are weaker in their Muslim identity. They are struggling. So if they lose their cultural influence and they don't speak their mother tongue, whether it's Somali or Urdu or whatever, and they're weak in that and they speak it in a, in a way where people laugh at them because they're so British or English. You need to know that that's actually the best of their representation of culture. Their religious uh, expression is the same. That's also being molded around their day-to-day experiences with other non-Muslims and the wider society and wider culture and wider fashion and wider media. Everything is playing its part. Everything is having its toll. So when I meet Muslims that I'm teaching, I've been teaching for donkey's years, 10, 15, 20 years, and I can see very clearly the difference of an audience that I taught 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, and then this weekend... I've just come, just, I flew in from Denmark to be here, right? And the people that I saw that I'm teaching, and I look and I think, I taught this, this class, the Fiqh of Salah, 10 years ago. The audience is so different. The way that they receive the knowledge is so different. The, re, the, the way that they receive the spiritual boost is so different. I want you to be aware of the danger of living in a society that is giving people so much freedom and celebrating that. I talk a lot about secular humanism and this being a secular humanist country and the fact that if you thought that you were safe from that in your deen, then you're just living in cloud cookie land. You need to be able to take every means. The masjid takes a far bigger importance in your life than actually what it is. Yeah, I mean, people back in the day would have just gone to the masjid to fulfill their obligations. Now you need to come to the masjid to save your deens and save your soul. You need Salatul Fajr now. More than ever before, not because the Prophet ﷺ said that it is the prayer that the munafiqin find most difficult to make sure that you attend. Not because the Prophet ﷺ said that the one who prays al-fajr in jama'ah, then it is as if he prayed all night in congregation, in night prayer. Not because, not because, but because it will save your soul. It will put you in the right path and give you the right tools and the right protection as you go out and are exposed to kufar, kufar and kufar. And if you're thinking that you're not being affected, even by people who are happy and then your friends and your work colleagues and smiling and they're passive and they're nice... It's not that they're your enemies. It's that the culture and society is breaking your identity down. And so by clinging on to Islamic concepts and rituals and sharia outward Yani signs, becomes all that more important. That cloth becomes all that more important. This hat becomes all that more important. This hat is not even religious, it's not even Islamic. It's not Yani, something that is required, right? The niqab, for example, I believe it's not an obligation. I believe that it's a sunnah at its highest point. But the people who wear that, it's become more important to continue to wear that. To be able to show and to create an identity for those that want to wear that. Or feel that they need to be able to wear that. You need to create safe spaces. These thiyab, these are not the sunnah. These are not yani clothes that need to be worn. But their importance has become doubled and tripled to allow people. External pieces of cloth, how lame is that? But their importance has become more important because of our time, because of our situation. So what then do you think of our deen? What do you think then of learning a few words of Arabic? What are then what are, of a regular circle? So it's essential for you. Essential for you, wherever you are. This is online, you've got no excuse. Every Tuesday evening, you just need to log in. This not about where you are in the world, if it's a night time late, or if it's a morning... You've got podcasts and recordings. The same with Quranic progression is going to follow the logical progression route. It's all free. There's no excuse that I don't have enough money. There's no excuse that I don't have time to watch the live one, watch the recorded one. There's no excuse that I work long hours and drive. You will listen to the pod- podcast. There's no excuse that, you know what it is? It's too intense for me. It's not even going to get more easy. You've got your ass and taking it so easy. You got me. This is the way we like to sit against the wall, chilling, relaxing. We've created the class for it to be easy. It's you know, not too much content for the pe- people who don't have enough time throughout you know, the year to study because at the end of the year, there'll be review sessions. It's, there's no excuse left. If you want to attend in, pe- in person, then we've chosen central locations. The Hikmah Center here is central to the Muslim community. You can attend nice and easy. If you thought it's too hard just to come to a class in the middle of the day, we put it in between prayers. You, know, you, get, you get a Maghrib, you, know, you might even check in Isha for free. You know what I'm saying? We've made it as easy as possible. Whether it's logical progression in Manchester, whether it's this class here, We've got as many people behind the scenes. We've got people who donate good sums of money every single month. No one's asking you for any money. I might ask you on the other occasion. But (laughs) seriously, I mean, the the blessing is ridiculous. I had someone this morning, this morning come up to me in Manchester. I've been praying Salah in Cheadle. And he comes, listen, uh, I want to donate to Quranic Progression. I want to donate to Quranic Progression. Uh, I want to make sure it's coming. Quranic Progression is oversubscribed for donations. We closed it. Logical progression still, yeah, people who pay a couple of quid every month to make sure to pay for the servers, pay for the cameras, pay for the people, pay for all these dodgy cables. Look at all these cables. Yeah, and it looks like we are about to do a bank robbery yeah, of the Bank of England or something. Yeah, But it's, also, it's, it's covered because people are motivated. People are inspired by the fact that even this little yeah, insight, this little bit of a glimpse into knowledge, into the Quran, is something blessed. And it is. So just stick with it. We know that there'll be times yeah, where you'll fluctuate and things will happen. But... Don't ever feel like you're out of the game. You know, most of the time when it comes to logical progression, it's convincing people that listen. It doesn't matter that you haven't attended. You don't worry about it. Just come back in. We're back in the same thing, whatever. It's the same usual cr- uh, crowd, and just you know. And the Quran, absolutely no excuse, because it's not like you're building yani, and you oh no, I've, I've attended a lesson now after three months, and no, you're just in a different place. You can c- catch up with the rest of the ayat that you've missed or whatever. But so never feel like you're out. Out. Just keep attending, keep listening. And these projects of, of Quran are so blessed. You know, just uh, two months ago, I was with uh, Dr. al Hashmi. Dr. Farrah Hashmi, uh, it, she's a blessed woman, subhanAllah. The effort that she's done by going through the Quran, consistently, very simple, word, verse by verse, with so many women, and an increasing number of men who don't want to admit it, right? Who sit there and listen, and benefit so much. And now Taymiyyah, her daughter, are now picking up that mantle, and, and carrying on, now in English, online as well, and through Al-Huda locally, and with Al Maghrib as well, the Quran is so blessed, and what the blessings that come from it are so much. And, um, and and that's it. I don't want to take uh, else. I just you know I, 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 I you know people thinking that I came to this class to uh, big it up. I came to this class for the blessing. Anyone who just prays al Maghrib, I think know exactly why you're here. All right, you're being taught by a man MashaAllah, TabarakAllah, is so 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 talented in this area, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives this gift to very very few people. Okay, very, very few people, believe me. Okay, as someone who's been studying Quran for a long time and Qira'ah and Tajweed, whatever, we would die to be able to recite like Sheikh Ahsan does. And to be able to, you know, understand it and teach it, mashallah, Tabarakallah. And the people who've done his lessons know that. Um, And uh, I'm going to share just something myself a a difference immediately between tafsir and tadabbur. And those who have taken the class Fitna that I teach on uh, uh, Surah Ali Imran will know that there's one thing in explaining the Qur'an, and the other thing that everyone else can do, which is to reflect upon the Qur'an, to see what they can take from it. Yani something themselves. They're not then putting on a statement saying, this is what Allah wants, but their reaction that is of benefit, and that is of good. And this entire project, that Sheikh Hassan is going to introduce, and he's going to obviously start yani at the, at the back, where, 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 where the plan is, from al-Baqarah. when I look at Anas, which is in front of me right now, and I look at Al-Falaq, which is still coming, these last two surahs. And I see something which is so pertinent to this, the last 10 minutes of the content that I've been saying, about how much of a threat that we're under, about how much the inside, us human beings, we're so manipulated, and then we become our worst enemies. We are our own worst enemies. We are just suffering from a, 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 a huge lack of discipline and consistency. We are our own enemies. And if you look at al-falaq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in al-falaq, قُلْ أَعُوذُ ذِرَبِّ Falak." And this dars will be about isti'adah, about seeking refuge of Allah, and the concept of seeking Allah's protection, and running to Him. But in Falaq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to us, Qul, so He's speaking to us, through the Prophet ﷺ. Seek refuge with the Lord of Al-Falaq, of the daybreak. And then, from a number of things, Min sharri ma khalaq, from the evil of what He has created, and from the evil of the darkening, when it goes into that uh, when it comes of its darkness, and from the evil of those who practice witchcraft when they blow in the knots, and from the evil of the envier, Ida Hasad, when he envies. One, two, three, fours. One seeking refuge with Allah from four separate different things. One focus on the Lord with four separate things. And then Anas, I'm looking at it, and it's. Okay, and then a complete and dramatic change in a nurse where now we're seeking refuge with Allah three times, different descriptions. So, first, He is the Lord of mankind, seek refuge with the Lord, your Lord of mankind. Now, seek refuge again, again, and again, but we'll change the title. The Lord first, the owner, the king, Malik, and then the God, the one that is worshipped of mankind. From what? From when the devil comes, from when the whispering comes, and then that whispering is put inside, and then he legs it, and then he leaves it to fester inside, and then what happens is that we then become our own enemy. So Allah then says, three times that you're going to seek refuge with him, in his three supreme titles and states, from the enemy within which is the greatest of enemies. Look at the comparison between the two surahs. Allah being sought, yani refuge with from different dangers, but when it comes to the key danger, then a real triple focus on the seeking refuge from just one threat, and that is us. So I want you to be aware of just how dangerous a time we live in when we are manipulated. Okay, I want you to reflect upon that. Anyway, that's enough from me. I don't want to hug this whole thing. And Jazallah uh, khair again to Sheikh Hassan for committing to this, because it's no joke. Because this class will continue through thick and thin when there's a couple of hundred people like this and when there's when only two people yani, as well. And that's the way that it, it does and the people yani, who continue are the most blessed. It's good to see you guys as well. Good to see my Hajj group here as well, man, Sick ones. Alright. Jazakumullah <laughs> khair. As-salamu <laughs> alaykum
1: wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So, Sheikh Abu Isa just thanked my introduction and I just ran away. <laughs> uh, I actually want to begin before we actually go into um, what I wanted to say. I think it's appropriate to thank a few people because, as Sheikh Abu Isa mentioned, there's been a lot of time and effort that's been put into organizing this class and holding this class we actually started planning for this class back in, I think it was January, uh, roughly, um, so like nine months ago. And for one reason or another, for things that were out of our control and just life, things that come up and so on and so forth, we've had to constantly delay this class and move it back and move it back. And there's been logistical issues and all sorts of things that have come in the way. But alhamdulillah, we've persevered and we've stayed true to what, we, what it is that we wanted to do. And now with the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're able to hold this first class. Okay, we're a few months late, but alhamdulillah we're here now, and inshallah we're going to get up and running. So after thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of this is from the blessing of Allah. You know, everything that you see here, me, Shaykh Isa, the team, everything, we're literally just tools at Allah Azza disposal. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses you for something which is good, then that's something which is a blessing and that we should be grateful for. And if you're a conduit for that good, you're spreading the word of this class, you're telling people, you're spreading the word. And that's also something that you should bless Allah, ask Allah to give you the gift for and thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for. The, uh, you know, there's like a dua that people used to make back in the day. And that is that oh Allah make us keys of goodness and locks upon evil. And don't make us keys of evil and locks upon goodness. And that's our dua at the beginning of this class, that this is something that inshallah ta'ala we're going to, hopefully, in a very steady, structured way, reconnect with the Quran and the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I also want to thank uh, the administration of this masjid, Masjid Al-Hikmah, this masjid which has only been open, I think, now for a couple of years or maybe less. It's a very new masjid in our city of Birmingham. But as you can see, mashallah, it's an amazing building. It's a very nice location. Um, Sheikh Saad, who's the manager here, and his team have been very welcoming and very open to us. As you can see, we literally just conquered, taken over the masjid and just done what we wanted and mashallah, tabarakullah they've not given us any grief or any headache and they've been very helpful. so I want to thank them and ask Allah azza wa jalla that he blesses them and their efforts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses this masjid and makes it a minaret of good and a light and a beacon that shines for the people of Birmingham in calling them to what is good and beneficial I also want to thank the brothers from uh, prophetic guidance Sheikh Isa and his team Shahzad who's sitting there ignoring me pretending he's not here uh, all of his team, mashallah, they have worked behind the scenes so diligently. And they have been the driving force behind this class. I literally just came and sat here now. They've been working behind the scenes, and these are the people that you don't see, and our own team, and the brothers here in Birmingham, um, that have taken on this responsibility of bringing you this class. Not only live, because it's got to be set up here in the masjid, but also online. For those of you that are going to access and are accessing this class online, and by the way, I just want to mention, Quranicprogression.org you don't need to record this message i've seen some of you take out your mobile phones and you don't need to, they've done everything for you the audio the video written notes all of this is available so you don't actually have to do anything you can access this class from wherever you are you can message people from you know pakistan india wherever they may be in the world and you think they will benefit obviously they need to speak english that's one thing we don't provide translation services but everything else more or less we've done for you and so inshallah, if you can bring people to something which is good for them, then inshallah, that's something which, uh, which you know, inshallah, you will get a portion of that reward as well. So I just wanted to thank those people at the beginning of this class because it's not something which I'm going to have a regular opportunity to do. Tafseer, why tafsir? The actual question is why not right? We, In our religion, there are many sources and many sciences that we can study. But the most important science, without doubt, is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the science of studying the Qur'an. There is nothing more important, nothing which, is, which takes a more central role in our lives than connecting with the Qur'an. And I've been teaching tafsir now in different capacities and in different locations across the world now for probably around 10 years, from Australia to Canada to Malaysia and the UK and so on. And there's two things that I've noticed. Number one is that we're becoming as a ummah, as a nation, as families, as individuals, as parents, wherever our role may be in this life, we're becoming more and more distanced from the Qur'an. Our connection with the Qur'an is becoming more fragile, it's fraying at the ends, it's loosening, and we're slowly but surely becoming more distant from the Qur'an. And that doesn't mean, like Shah ba'i says, it doesn't mean that we don't love the Qur'an or we don't have that respect for the Qur'an, because we do. Even the Muslim that doesn't care anything about his religion won't pray, won't do anything else. They have a love that Allah Azza wa has placed in their hearts for the Qur'an. But generally we're becoming more and more distant. But at the same time, the second thing that I've noticed is the yearning and the longing and the passion and drive and enthusiasm out there for people to want to reconnect with the Qur'an. Because we've noticed that we've become distanced. And we've realized and acknowledged that this is a hole that has been left in our hearts, in our lives, and as parents, as you know, people who have now children, we also understand that it's something which is central to their lives as well. And so we want to reconnect with the Quran. But there's two ways of reconnecting with the Quran. There's a type of connection with the Quran which is you know very surface, it's very iman boosting, it gives you a rush and you think, Wow, that's amazing and you connect with the Quran, but it's very limited and it's very finite. And it's something which is a connection that won't last very long. Maybe it will last for a few hours, a few minutes, a couple of days, but then you go back into the normal grind. And then there's a connection with the Qur'an that lasts because it's structured and it's solid, because it's based upon knowledge. It's based upon actual solid foundation. And that is real tafsir. And when we say real tafsir or tafsir in its orthodox way, what we're talking about is bringing the Qur'an back into tafsir. Right? So one of the greatest ways of making tafsir of the Qur'an is by using the Qur'an, not isolating verses, taking one verse there, one verse over there, and isolating it from the rest of the Qur'an, and then pretending that that is the tafsir of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. Bringing the Qur'an back into the Qur'an, bringing the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wa into the Qur'an, those thousands of hadith that the Prophet spoke and he told us the meaning of the Qur'an. That for the last you know, few years when people have started to seen us become the trend where we actually strip away the sunnah and hadith from the Qur'an. So now it's like you know, Sheikh Faizah said, it's our feelings and our motivations and our personal contemplations. But okay, where, where, what about the hadith? Right? Where's Bukhari anymore? And where's Sahih Muslim? And where are all of those collections of hadith that the Prophet gave to us? Bringing back the statements of the companions. Ibn Abbas, Ibn Mas'ud. And if you're going through a tafsir class and you don't hear those names, there's a problem. Where are those people, those giants of our religion, those titans of knowledge, who dedicated their lives to giving us the tafsir of the Qur'an? And then you have all of those great scholars, Imam al-Tabari, Qurtubi ibn Kathir, Rahimahumullah ajma'in, all of those great scholars bringing back orthodoxy into tafsir. And that's inshallah something that we're going to be doing. So this isn't going to be a quick class, right? Just in case you were under any illusions. This isn't going to be done in a month or six months or even six years. Because we're going to take this very, very slowly. Right? Today, I'm just planning to speak about the isti'adah. A'udhu billahi right? And that's not even a part of the Qur'an. It's not even a verse of the Qur'an. But we're going to start there and we're going to take our time. And we're going to go into a certain level of depth. And inshallah, I hope that it will be inspiring. And that you'll get those moments of, you know, an iman rush and an iman boost. Because that is also part of just connecting with and studying the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the goal of this class is to give you actual knowledge. Is to give you proper tafsir. Is to give you a solid foundation to build your tafsir upon. And that's why we're starting from the back of the Qur'an. We're not starting from Fatiha and Baqarah. You know, which you would probably think is the logical way of doing tafsir. We're starting from the por- portion of the Qur'an that all of us are familiar with. The surahs of the Qur'an that we've memorized, that we read in our salah. You know, that our kids now are memorizing when they're five, six, seven, eight years old. And when they come to us and they say, like, you know, so what does it mean? You know, nas. Or, What does it mean when Allah says that he's the Lord of the daybreak? And we're there, like scratching our heads because we don't know. And we've never taken the time to learn and we don't really understand. This is an opportunity now to connect with the book of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I just want to mention this because it's important. You know, when I was looking through the um, tafsir of this class, when I was going through my notes and I was preparing for this class, one of the things that I came across was the efforts that the scholars of the past put in for tafsir. Right, The, the juhud, the efforts, the striving, the sacrifices that they made for us to be able to understand the Quran. And that is something amazing. That we are a part of this heritage, a part of a tradition that is so amazing, so blessed that we are a part of it. As the Prophet ﷺ said, his inheritance is knowledge, right? So the Prophets of Allah don't leave gold, they don't leave silver, they don't leave pounds or dollars behind. They leave an inheritance that all of their ummah, all of their nation can take from equally. Everyone has access to knowledge. Everyone can learn about their religion. That's the inheritance of the Prophet. And when the scholars of the past used to see students coming to them, they would say to them, Welcome to the heirs of the Prophet. Welcome to those people who are the inheritors of the knowledge that the Prophet left behind as his inheritance, as his estate. And that's what we're taking from. So from the time of the companions, you see that they were people who were so. Engrossed in the Quran. In fact, even the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. How many ahadith do you have where people would come, non Muslims, pagans of Quraysh, people from the Arab tribes, and they would say to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi want to learn about your religion. Tell us about your God, your Lord. Tell us about what it is that you're representing, your mission. And all the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would do was read the Quran. It's amazing. Wouldn't give a lecture wouldn't stand and say, okay, sit down, you know, like, you know, once upon a time. He wouldn't go into a story. He would literally just say, Rahim," and read Qur'an. And there are countless hadith that you will find that follow that same pattern. Because it's something that they understood was so integral, so important. Right, so the companions, they sacrificed their lives to connecting with the Qur'an. They gave up years to connect with the Qur'an. Abdullah ibn Umar, the great companion, one of the great scholars of Tafsir also, the son of Umar It is said that he spent 10 years learning and memorizing Surah Al-Baqarah. Now granted Surah Al-Baqarah is the longest Surah of the Quran, but still 10 years on a single Surah of the Quran. But they weren't preoccupied about finishing. You see, that's the problem we have now. We're so preoccupied about finishing, you know, we've got to finish, we've got to finish, we've got to finish. And so we spend so much time worrying about finishing, that actually when we look back, we didn't really benefit. Didn't really take any knowledge, didn't really take anything from what it is that we were trying to benefit from. And so that's the difference. The companions weren't preoccupied about finishing. Ten years for Surah Al-Baqarah was normal. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said we used to take ten verses at a time. And we wouldn't go past beyond them. We wouldn't pass beyond them until we learned them and we memorized them and we understood them and we applied them into our daily lives. And then we would proceed. And they weren't preoccupied about finishing. It wasn't like, oh, you know, it's been like a year and all I've done is like 100 verses, right, or 200 verses. I have so much of the Quran left. They weren't preoccupied. That wasn't the goal. The goal was to benefit. One of the students of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud came to him one day and he said that I read the whole Qur'an last night. The whole Qur'an from cover to cover I read last night. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said to him, did you read it like the people read poetry? It's more beloved to me that I would spend the whole night reading 8-9 verses, spend the whole night reading that surah but understanding and contemplating it then finishing the whole Qur'an the way that you did. It's just a mind-blowing perspective. Just a different way of looking at something. And I'm mentioning this because shaitan comes to us and he often makes us, you know, deflates us, right? It's very easy. Comes after a few weeks and it's like, oh, you know, they're still on Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim right? It's been a month. They're never going to finish. But that's not the point. The point is that every time you come and you learn and you benefit, you're coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The point is isn't finishing. The point is learning and benefiting. Right? And that's what the scholars used to do. Mujahid, rahimahullah ta'ala, the great student of Ibn Abbas, one of the great scholars of tafsir. Sufyan al-Thawri, rahimahullah, used to say that if you have the tafsir of Mujahid, it's enough. If you come across the tafsir of Mujahid, you don't need to look at anyone else or look for a different scholar. He's enough for you. Mujahid reached that level of knowledge of tafsir. He said that I went through the Qur'an with Abdullah ibn Abbas anhuma, three times. And at every verse, I would stop him. Every single verse, I told him to stop. And I would ask him what it means, and when it was revealed, and why it was revealed. And I would go through the whole thing, and then I would allow him to carry on. Every single verse. Right, there's 6,000 plus verses in the Quran. Can you imagine the determination? Not just once, not twice, three times he did this. With Abdullah ibn Abbas, And that's how the scholars of Tafsir were. They would spend time, you know, like if someone came to the scholars of the past and they said to them, you want to study and learn knowledge, the first question they would ask them is, how much of the Qur'an do you know? What's your relationship with the Qur'an? If people came to an Imam Al-Uzai, Rahimahullah, and they wanted to know and seek knowledge with him, he would say to them, go and learn the Qur'an and then come back. That's the basic basis of knowledge, right? That's our foundation as Muslims. Abu Darda radiallahu anhu, when he was sent to Damascus and he became the governor of Damascus, after every dhuhr prayer, he's the governor, he's got so many issues, so many things to deal with. But after dhuhr, every, every dhuhr prayer, he would pray in the main mosque of Damascus. And then he would gather the people and he would split them into groups of 10. And he would make them sit in circles and he would appoint a teacher upon every group. And he would go and he would stand on the minbar. So if someone had an issue in that group, they were reading Qur'an, memorization, understanding, reading, Tajweed, whatever it was, they would speak to their group leader, right, their little sheikh, and they would ask him, and he would correct them and tell them. But if he didn't know, he would get up and he would go to the minbar, and he would ask Abu Darda, radiallahu anh. This is what the companions did. These are just some of the efforts that they put into the tafsir of the Qur'an. And then you have those other giants like Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, When he was asked by his students, right, Tafsir al Tabari is the greatest, longest compilation of Tafsir that we have. It is an amazing work of Tafsir, and all there is, is narrations. That's all Tafsir al Tabari is. He's just simply collected 30 odd volumes, depending on the edition, 30 odd volumes of narrations. Such and such a companion said this, and such and such a scholar said this, and this scholar from the Tabi'een said this, and that's all he does more or less in his Tafsir. It is a Tafsir full of narrations. That's orthodox tafsir. When he was asked by his students to write a tafsir, he said to them, bring me 30,000 blank pages. 30,000 blank pages, I will write for you tafsir. They said, wow, that's crazy. Who's gonna read 30,000 pages of tafsir? That's gonna take a lifetime to write and another lifetime to read. Give us a summarized version. So he said to them, bring me 3,000 pages a tenth of what he wanted to do. And from that tenth, those 3,000 pages, he wrote his tafsir that today is the greatest work of tafsir that we have. But can you imagine those nine-tenths of knowledge that have been lost? Those nine-tenths of knowledge that he didn't write down, weren't recorded, weren't preserved. And that's what happens with every generation as we become more and more distant from the Quran, we lose a piece of that knowledge, right? And when you lose a piece of that knowledge, it's not that it's not written in the books, it's still in the books. But there are fewer and fewer people who know how to access the knowledge of those books, know how to put it into context, know how to use it in a way that it conforms to the principles that were given to us by the Prophet wasallam, by the scholars of Tafsir, by the companions رضي anhum So I just wanted to give you that to let you know and to help us realize and acknowledge that this is a great thing that we're about to embark upon. It's not something small, it's not something that should be taken lightly, and it's something that we should ask Allah's help for, and ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to bless, but it's also something that we should understand, that it is something that we should feel proud of, that we're about to embark upon this great knowledge of connecting with the Quran, and with the book of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So with that, inshallah, we're going to actually start with some tafsir. Um, and what we're going to begin with today is the tafsir of the isti'adah. So the isti'adah is um, the term that the scholars give for the statement, أعوذ al shaitan الشيطان And it's actually a very interesting uh, place to start our tafsir for a couple of reasons. Number one, as I said, it's actually not a part of the Qur'an. So that statement, أعوذ بالله is not a verse of the Qur'an. Yes, the commandment to read it is given in the Qur'an, but the actual wording in that form, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم, isn't mentioned anywhere in the Qur'an. And that's why the approach of the scholars of tafsir is twofold with regards to the isti'adah. You have some scholars who went into a lot of detail explaining it because it is a part of you know, our etiquettes of reading the Qur'an. So for example, Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah, he mentioned 12 different points in his tafsir concerning the isti'adah and we'll go over those uh, 12 points but in a different format, but we'll cover what he mentioned in his tafsir. And then you have other scholars who likewise did something similar. Right? They went through the isti'adah and they explained its importance and so on. And then you have other scholars of tafsir who don't even mention the isti'adah. They start with Surah Al-Fatiha, Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim, and they just start. And they don't even mention the isti'adah because it's not actually a verse of the Qur'an. But even though it's not a verse of the Qur'an, the commandment to read it is in the Qur'an. And in the verse that I recited actually in, in, uh, in Salatul Maghrib, in Surah Fussilat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to us, وَإِمَّا يَنزَغَنَّكَ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ نَزْغٌ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ He gives us a command to seek refuge in Allah every time shaitan comes to tempt us, every time shaitan whispers to us, every time shaitan tries to divert us away from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're commanded to read the isti'adah. But the actual verse in uh, Surah Al-Nahl, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ An explicit command that if you're going to read the Qur'an, you're about to read the Qur'an, then seek refuge in Allah from shaytan the accursed And we'll go through that in in more detail. But what I wanted to bring to your attention is the power of this statement. It is amazing, this statement, that you begin your recitation of the Qur'an by asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to give you protection, give you shelter, to help you, to give you refuge from shaitan. Right? And so you're actually asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to save you from the evil and the harm of what is the most, the greatest danger that is out there to us. And that is the danger of shaitan. Allah azza wa jal says, Inna lakum aduun Shaitan is an enemy to you, so take him as an enemy. Right? Treat him like an enemy. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, he says that from the benefits of the isti'adah is that it purifies you. So before you're about to read the Qur'an, it purifies you. Purifies your tongue, purifies your heart, it purifies your actions as you're about to embark upon the recitation and the reading of the Qur'an, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the reason why it does that is because there is two things that that are in play in the isti'adah. The first is that we're seeking help from Allah. And who is Allah? Allah is the Lord of everything that exists. Right? Allah is our creator, our provider, our sustainer. He is the source of all good, the source of all blessing. Anything that is good in this life, it comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the second thing I play in this ti'ada is the opposite. right? The polar opposite to Allah. And that is shaitan, iblis the source of all misery, the source of all wretchedness, the epitome of all evil. So everything that is harmful to you in your life, everything that distances you from Allah, everything that makes you go towards the haram, every urge that you have to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to sin, that is from shaitan. And so you can see the power of this statement. That you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you ask Allah azza wa jal with all of his good and all of his blessing, and everything that Allah has from mercy and forgiveness and kindness and gentleness, and that is all-knowing and all-seeing and all-hearing, and you ask him to protect you from the source of all evil, from the epitome of all evil, from the one who makes us distance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why this isti'a is isn't just confined to the Qur'an, right? This isti'a that plays in many occasions, it comes through many times during the day and through the life of the Muslim, and we we'll go through some of those as well, in ta'ala. But the first thing that I wanted to do was go through the actual wording of the isti'adah. So the isti'adah has different wordings that the scholars have mentioned. Some of them are mentioned in a hadith, authentic hadith, and others have been mentioned by some of the scholars of the past. So the first of them and the most famous of them is obviously, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ To seek refuge in Allah from Shaitan the accursed. This is mentioned obviously in the Qur'an, in the verse that we recited in, in Surah Al-Nahl. But it is also mentioned in the hadith in the Bukhari and Muslim, on the authority of Sunayman ibn Sard. And in this hadith, he is saying that we were sitting near the Prophet ﷺ, in the company of the Prophet ﷺ. And there were two men who began to curse one another and swear at one another. Right? Which shows you when he lifts this illusion that even during the time of the companions, there used to be aggravation, right? there used to be problems. They were people at each other's necks and throats. Right? The companions, yes, they were amazing, and they are this blessed generation. But many of the lessons that we take from them is through their humanness as well, their human nature. They had things like this going on. And look at the response of the Prophet ﷺ. And these two men are swearing on one another. The hadith says, is right, And Sab means to curse, to swear, right? to call one another, like mock each other with names, to degrade. These two people are doing this with the Prophet. And one of them is more vocal than the other. He's the one that's swearing. He's the one that's cursing. He's the one who's humiliating the other man. To the extent that the narrator, the companion, he says, Ihmarra wajum. His face became red, full of anger. So he's extremely upset. So the Prophet is seeing this interaction. He's seeing what's going on. And he says to the companions around him, I know a statement that if this person was to say it, all of this anger would leave him. So someone from those companions who heard this, they got up and they told the man. They went to him and they said, the Prophet ﷺ just said, say and you'll be cured. What did the man say? Anyone know the hadith? He said, I'm not crazy. Right? I'm not mad. be majnoon. Right? Because the Prophet ﷺ is saying, you need to calm down you need to get over this anger, you need to change your, you know, whatever it is, and move away from the situation, de-escalate. And his response was, that I'm actually not crazy. And this shows you the power of the isti'adah. Right? Because the isti'adah shaitan, and we'll speak about shaitan and his relationship to the jinn and iblis and these terms that we we um, also have within the Qur'an, and they're part of the isti'adah as well. The jinn is a... Creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is hidden from our eyesight. And the Arabic word, the root word of jinn, the jinn and the nun in the Arabic language, it denotes something which is hidden. So whenever you see in the root word of an Arabic, the jinn and the nun, it refers to something which is hidden. So for example, Jannah, right, paradise. Why is Jannah called Jannah? Because it's hidden from our eyes. We can't see it in this life, you see it in the next life, right? The embryo that's in the womb of the mother in Arabic is called janin. Janin. Why is it called a janin? Because it is hidden from plain view. You know, and we know that that mother is expecting she's pregnant, but it's not something that you can see. It is hidden from plain sight. The jinn are called jinn because, as Allah Azza wa Jal say, says, they see you from where you do not see them. They can see you, but you can't see them. They are hidden from you. And likewise, the word majnoon, crazy, has that same root where The jim and the noon are in there. Because when you're crazy, and it doesn't mean you're literally like, you know, medically crazy, clinically crazy. What it means is that this person has momentarily gone into a state of madness, right? They've lost all faculty, all reason, to the extent that even though he's been told that the Prophet ﷺ is saying this, and this man is a Muslim, he's a companion, not even a Muslim, he's a companion because he's living in the time of the Prophet he's met the Prophet he believes in the Prophet ﷺ, he's just going through a moment of anger. Even when the companion is being told that you need to say, A'udhu billahi min rajim, what does he say? I'm not crazy. Right? And it's something which overtakes you. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is because that's why we make the isti'adah before reading the Quran. Because what shaitan does, and this will come in Surah Al Nas, what shaitan does is he comes and he plants a seed in us. He whispers, right? He just gives us that tantalizing little bit of information. Plants that seed of what it is that he wants us to do. That sin, that act of disobedience. Or sometimes it's not even a sin. It's just leaving something that we know that we should do, that they would be more rewarding. Right? After Salatul Maghrib, don't pray your Sunnah pray. It's not wajib. And yes, it's not wajib. You're not sinful if you don't. But the fact that you're leaving them when it's easy for you to perform them is a trap of shaitan. Right? That's one of the whisperings of shaitan. That's all he does. Right? And so he comes and he plants that seed. And then he runs away. He leaves it with you, and he goes away. And it festers and festers and festers until what happens? You start now to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first time it might be difficult, but the second time it becomes easier. And the third time it becomes easier. And the fourth time, until you get to such a level where now it's just like second nature. Leaving that act of worship, not waking up for Fajr, whatever it may be. It just becomes easy and it becomes second nature. And that is the trap of shaitan and the evil of shaitan. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us this amazing statement, right, that's so powerful and tells us to seek refuge in Allah from Shaytan the accursed. And this wording, A'udhu min it was the wording that was chosen by the vast majority of the scholars of the past, the Salaf, from the companions, Umar radiallahu anhu reported on him, from the four Imams, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam al Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. And other scholars like Ibn Atiyah, in his tafsir, he says that this was the wording that the vast majority of scholars have chosen for the isti'adah. So when you want to read the Qur'an, or in your salah, if you're going to read it, and we we'll come on to the issue of salah and reading the isti'adah, wherever it may be, the chosen wording amongst the vast majority of the scholars of Islam is a'udhu billahi min Raji. Simply because that's the command of the Qur'an. That's the command that Allah Azza wa gives in the Quran and it's mentioned obviously in some of the hadith of the Prophet. But it's not the only authentic wording. The second wording that is also authentically reported from the Prophet has an addition. And that is Sami Al alim, shaitan al-Rajim. I seek refuge in Allah, as the all hearing, Alim, the all knowing, from Shaitan the accursed. So it has the added wording of As Sami Al Alim. And that's taken from the verse that I uh, mentioned to you in Surah Fussilat. Right? When Shaitan comes and he prods you, Allah says, Seek refuge in Allah, for indeed he is all-hearing, all-knowing. So this wording just incorporates those two names that Allah mentions in the Qur'an into the wording of the isti'adah. shaitan raji And it's also mentioned that the Prophet in the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ in his qiyamul layl in his night prayer, when he would pray the night prayer, this is what he would start with. So after he you know, opened his salah, he made his opening dua, he would say, And for that reason, it was also the opinion of some of the scholars of the past, Al-Hassan al-Basri, Muhammad ibn Sireen, and it's also reported on Imam al-Shafi'i and Imam Ahmad, رحمه they have both wordings, right? So they use both wordings, and they say that both of them is something that you should, uh, you should use. Abu Amr al-Dani, this is a name that inshallah we're going to become familiar with. One of the things that we'll be doing in this um, tafsir classes is we're going to be going through some of the sciences of Qur'an as well because they play a big portion of You see, The amazing thing about tafsir is it includes everything. It's so comprehensive. right? So when you're going through the Qur'an, you're going to have seerah, you're going to have aqeedah, you're going to have fiqh, you're going to have sciences of the Qur'an, you're going to have Arabic language, all of that comes into tafsir. And even though this isn't a fiqh class or a naqeeda class or anything else, but when we come across some of those issues, we're going to be discussing them. So Abu Amr al-Dani is one of the great scholars of qira'at. Right? So the qira'at are the different recitations of the Qur'an that you can have, the different rules of tajweed that you can have, and the different wording differences that you can have in the Uthmani script of reciting the Qur'an. So those names that you hear of warsh and Nafir and even the way that we read hafs, all of these are scholars of qira'at. Abu Amr al-Dani is one of those people who combined and collated and collected all of that information of Qiraat and he put it into books. He's one of the greatest scholars of Qiraat. So those scholars like Imam al-Shatibi, if you're coming up the stairs, they have the Shatibi Institute in this masjid where they teach Qiraat. They have like a poster outside. Imam al-Shatibi is someone who came like three, four centuries after Abu Amr al-Dani. So the point of this is he's an amazing scholar of Qiraat. Abu Amr al-Dani said that the vast majority of Qurra, so not the scholars who write the first one, we said that's the vast majority of scholars. He said the vast majority of Qurra, who are the reciters of the Qur'an, right, the specialists of Qur'anic reading and tajweed, they choose this type of isti'adah. min The third wording is with an addition. So it takes the second wording, but it adds something at the end. أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ مِنْ هَمْزِهِ وَنَفْخِهِ ونفثه. I seek refuge in Allah, the all-hearing, the all-knowing, from Shaitan the accursed, from his hams, his nafkh, and his naf. Right? And we'll speak about what those three things are. But before we do that, that's also mentioned in the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu, that when the Prophet would stand for the night prayer, this is how he would begin so he would say subhanak wa bihamdik wa tabarakasmuk wa ta'ala jaddu wa la ilaha that's his opening dua and then he would say billahi as alim min and this is collected in Imam Ahmad Abu Dawud and others and it is an authentic hadith so what is what are these three things that the prophet is adding that it's also seeking additional refuge from hams the first thing is seeking refuge from the craziness of shaytan, right? The possession of shaytan. When shaytan comes and he makes you do something, he overtakes you with a fit of anger or a fit of madness, or you're not thinking clearly that hems or his type of possession that he has, that's what the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge from, number one. Number two is nafkh Nafq is to make you arrogant, to inflate you, right? nafkh literally means to blow. So to inflate you, to make you arrogant, to make you haughty. And this is what happens, right? So in the hadith where the two men are cursing one another, the Prophet ﷺ says to him, say, billahi rajim. He says, I'm not crazy. What's happened is, it's a sense of arrogance, right? It's a sense of, you know, I know what I'm doing, right? Don't tell me that I'm doing something wrong. Don't tell me that I don't know what I'm doing. Don't tell me... That... And so it's a form of arrogance. So the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge in his nafk, right? From his arrogance, from the haughtiness, from the obstinacy of shaitan. And then you have the third one, which is nafs. And nafs, the scholar said, is uh, his poetry. Right? Poetry that is bad, poetry that is evil, poetry that makes you want to um, disobey Allah. Right? So there's two types of poetry in the Quran. There's a surah of the Quran called Surah al-Shu'ara, which is a very long way away from where we are. But Surah al-Shu'ara is called after the poets, and that's because those poets would use their eloquence and the power of their words and their, their you know the eloquence of the Arabic language to take people away from Allah, or to entice people to sin, or to make sin acceptable. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rebukes them in the Quran and He dispraises them in the Qur'an. And that's the type of shi'r that's the type of poetry that we seek refuge in. Something that will make you or any type of literature, anything that will actually make you want to come away from Allah or want you to sin and disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the ter- third type of um, of isti'adha with that wording. The fourth type is very similar, but you just add Allahumma at the beginning. Right? So Allahumma inni ya'udhu bika Shaitan al rajim wa hamzihi wa nafkihi wa nafthih. And this is mentioned in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud anh, that is collected in Sunan ibn Majah, and it is an authentic hadith. And some of the scholars of the past, like Hassan al-Basri, Ishaq ibn Rahawai, they chose this wording. They chose this wording and they said that this is the wording that you should use. All of these wordings, by the way, are authentic and they're all you know, allowed for you to use and so on. What it is, is that just some scholars preferred one over the other and they said that it is better to use this one or to use that one. The fifth wording is to say, innallaha So again, it's taken from the first Isti'adha, which is and the second one in which we mentioned the two names that are taken from the two verses and what the scholars did is they joined them together, they amalgamated them and they brought them into a single statement and this is reported on Umar ibn al-Khattab Muhammad ibn al-Sirin, Sufyan al-Thawri al-Imam al-Awza'i and Imam Ahmad in one of his narrations also so it's something which many of the scholars also took on board. The sixth one that is mentioned in the sunnah is what the Prophet used to read when he would enter the masjid. So when he would enter into the masjid, one of the du'as that he would make is, أَعُوذُ wa shaytan al rajim And this is mentioned in uh, the sunnah of Rabbi Dawud, and it is also authentic. So he would seek refuge in Allah the Great, and with his noble face, and with his uh, everlasting dominion and kingdom from shaitan, the accursed, right? And so it is using some of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring about uh, this isti'adha and asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this refuge and this protection. These are the ones that are authentically mentioned in the sunnah. So these are the ones that are mentioned in the hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that he would slightly change the wording and he would use them in terms of making the isti'adha. But then there are other ones that are also mentioned by some of the scholars. So some of the tabi'in and some of the scholars, they used to use other wordings. And I'll just go through them, I won't go through them in detail, but just for benefit. The first one is, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ الْعَظِيمِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ الْعَظِيمِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ The second one, and that's, um, uh, that's mentioned in Tafsir ibn Kathir. The second one is, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ الْعَظِيمِ السَّمِيعِ الْعَلِيمِ مِن أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ الْعَظِيمِ As الْعَلِيمِ مِنَ Alim, الرَّجِيمِ which is very similar to what we've already said, but it just adds the name of Allah Al Azim. Okay? So that's also uh, also mentioned in the books of tafsir The next one is أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ الْعَظِيمِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ إِنَّ Rajim, هُوَ Allaha الْعَلِيمِ So again these isti'adas, they're taking what we've already discussed and they're just changing some of the wording or adding certain names of Allah wa ta'ala, to them. Another one that is mentioned in the books of uh, of of Tifsir, Arudu Billah his Semeer Alim mina Shaytan al Rajim in Nallaha wa Semir Alim, which again is very um is very similar. Another one is Asta'idu Billah mina Shaytan al Rajim. So Arubilla is the uh present verb I am seeking refuge. Asta'idu Billah is asking Allah for his refuge. So rather than a verb, it is a, a, a asking and a dua to Allah for refuge. So as ta'ido bi-Allah al rajim Another one is bi billahil bi-Allah al-qawi min al-shaytan al-ghawi. A'udhu bi-Allah al-qawi al-ghawi. And another one is bi billahil bi-Allah al-majid min al al-mareed. And then you have 'A'udhu bi-Allah min al rajim wa astaf'tihu Allah, who is And then you have bi billahi bi-Allah al-rahman rahim then you have All of these are mentioned in the books of Tafsir. And they've all been attributed to scholars, many of them amongst the Tabirin Atta, Tawus, Muhammad ibn Sirin, Al Hassan al-Basri, these are the great titans of knowledge, the great scholars of Tafsir, the heavyweights from that generation who were the students of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. So the reason why I just wanted to mention them was for benefit, but it's something which, inshallah ta'ala, you can refer to back in the recording. But the best ones are the ones that the Prophet ﷺ obviously gave to us in the authentic sunnah. So the ones that we mentioned at the beginning, seeking refuge in Allah in his names and his attributes and so on, the ones that are mentioned in the Qur'an, in those authentic narrations from the Prophet ﷺ, there is no doubt that, that is better. it is better to use that and it is also allowed to use one of the names of Allah in this Ti'adh. so to seek refuge in Allah the name of Allah is the one that is most commonly mentioned to use the name Allah but it is allowed for you to use the names of Allah so as we've discussed already right as sami al alim al azim all of these have been mentioned and it is also allowed for you to use just the name without the name Allah so instead of saying sami al alim al rajim it's allowed for you to say a'udhu or right Sami al Alim, To use one of Allah's names or one of his attributes. And that's mentioned in the Qur'an, in, in um, the story of Maryam a.s. Uh, in the Qur'an, Allah says, describing her words or mentioning her words, "Inni أَعُوذُ I seek refuge in Ar-Rahman from you. When the angels came to, the, to her in the form of men, she sought refuge in Ar-Rahman from them. Because she didn't know who they were, they were strange men to her. She seeks refuge in Ar-Rahman. She doesn't say Allah. She uses the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And likewise, the attributes of Allah. So if you say, أَعُوذُ بِكَلِمَاتِ اللَّهِ which is commonly found in the sunnah, مِنْ مَا I seek refuge in the perfect, complete words of Allah from the evil of that which He created. So to use Allah, to use one of the names of Allah, to use one of the attributes of Allah, all of them are authentic and all of them are allowed to be used. And that also shows therefore that the istiadah isn't just something which you have to make from shaitan. The isti'adah that is seeking Allah's refuge, his protection, his help, his assistance, his shelter from any evil. So that's obviously shaitan sometimes, but it's sometimes other than shaitan. You can say min shari ma khalaq from the evil of that which he created. Right? Or as the Prophet وسلم, used to do when he used to recite over his grandson's Al Hassan Al Hussein he used to say, Taamat Walama kulli hama kulli Right, and then he used to say, this is the same isti'adah, the same seeking refuge that the Prophet Ibrahim salam would do upon his two sons, Ismail and Ishaq right? And so he's seeking refuge in Allah from shaitan, but also from the evil eye and so on and so forth, from every other type of evil. So it's not just from shaitan, but anything that can cause you harm, anything that can bring you harm, anything that is a cause uh, a sense of danger to you, a cause of concern, you can seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from it and from the evil of that thing. Right? And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam his adhkar of the day and the night, is that he used to seek refuge in Allah from the evil of himself. He used to say, عُوضُ بِكَ O oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from my own evil. Right, from the evil of my soul and my desire. And the evil of my own self. I think uh, it's time for Adhan. So I can... To Adhan, Ishaq? To Adhan? To Adhan, Let's just wait for them to meet their inshallah.
2: Allah <coughs> A shed and Muhammad Rasulullah. A shed and Muhammad Rasulullah.
1: So we're going to pray in about five minutes, so inshallah I think we'll we'll stop there for today's session. But I just wanted to mention um, a few things that just to bring your um, attention to that. We have an online portal as you know, um Quranicprogression.org. If you go to that you'll be signed into the online portal. It is a free thing for you to do. Um, and one of the benefits of that is that you'll get all of the recordings. So the audio recording, the video recording of this class will be there for you to access at any time at your leisure. And then the written notes. So we've, we're doing written notes with um, the tafsir. So as we go along, so if you go onto the portal, inshallah, today, tonight, tomorrow, you'll find the isti'adah and the basmala. On the study
2: material tab on the live page. the so way you're watching now,
1: on the study material tab. Okay, so where you're watching now, there's a tab called study material. If you click on that tab, inshallah, you'll be taken to the relevant page. And there, it's just simply a matter of downloading. Is it downloading or is it online?
0: Is there,
2: is there, Okay, so you'll be able to see it, inshallah. In the future, this will also be available in the resources section, where they will find the video, the audio, and then the past notes as we
1: forward. Okay, and as we go along then, so I just feel like a parrot now. But anyway, as we go along uh, in the resources section on the portal, you'll find access to the audio, the video, and the written notes. So as we go along, I mean, we're still very early on, but the idea is that we'll have a bank of this information, inshallah, and that's one of the reasons why we're using the portal and not just Streaming on YouTube or, or Facebook because we want to keep this information together. We don't want it to be lost amongst hundreds and thousands of other videos. It's all in one place, inshallah, it will be done in a structured way.
0: And um, just bear with us because the portal is being upgraded continually. Okay. Um, because we're, we're now working to full mobile compatibility, so there are going to be enhancements made over the next couple of weeks that people will notice online. <laughs> okay.
1: And, Seriously, just take the mic, seriously. Okay, so uh, you'll find that there's some glitches with the portal because we're still working on it. Obviously, there was a lot of work that had to go in for, in order to make the whole class available online. They had logical progression already to add a whole other system onto that that took some, some time and some effort. And it's mm-hmm. still a work in progress. So for the next few weeks, there may be some glitches and some problems. And also, inshallah, once it's ready, it will be tablet and mobile compatible so inshallah you know just another one less excuse for you next week
2: the section will be up, the comments will be up there so be okay
1: and also for those of you online you have the comment section which is so basically you can interact with me I'll be able to see them you know I know we didn't have time for questions here or anywhere else today but inshallah from next week if there's questions there's comments there's clarifications that need to be made inshallah we can we can go through that as well and finally, the timing next week, inshallah, we will begin 7.45 online.
2: So they need to check the okay. weekly schedule online until uh, the set when, in October when we need to the set time after Isha. But yeah. until then, okay. schedule.
1: So when the clocks change in October, we're going to have this class after Isha. Until then, if you go to the portal, because Maghrib is changing every week, the time for the Salah, Maghrib Salah in the Masjid, and then the time for those of you online, inshallah, will be made available every week. Once the clocks go back in October, the class will move to after Isha, and then the, the time will become more stable, inshallah, and it will be more set. Is that it? Right? you got a couple of minutes for questions. Didn't you? Have we? All right. Okay. I just thought your announcements were never ending, but anyway. Any questions? See, that's what I like about Birmingham. No one has questions in Birmingham. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sister. Yeah. Will that include something like music? Yeah. so the question is, uh, in one of the weddings of this ti'ada, where we seek refuge in Allah from shaitan, and then we add those things right from his um, possession, and from his craziness, and so on and so forth. One of the things was we spoke about you know, his, his evil um, poetry, right, or his evil words. Does that include music? Um, possibly it can include music as well, because uh, if, if the lyrics or the words are something which are displeasing to Allah, take you away from Allah then they are part of that. Because that's what the poets used to do, that Allah Azzawajal mentions in the Qur'an. It's not that they were literally inspired by shaitan, but their words um, what took people away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they made things that were displeasing to Allah, beloved to the people. And so lyrics or music or songs have that same, um, that same thing. And Allah Azzawajal knows best. Last question? We had a question? Okay. Okay, so inshallah we're going to conclude that. Jazakumullah khairan. Salam bin Muhammad wa ala aliyyum.